This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Many of you are already experiencing a new kind of Christmas this year, as you've determined these last few weeks to turn away from the materialism of the world and focus on giving yourself away in a lot of different ways. And that's exciting. And, and I hope that you'll let us know as you're involved in some things, say, hey, here's how my Christmas has changed. And not only how my Christmas has changed, but how my life and my attitude has changed. Here's what God's taught me. Here's how God has, has taken Christmas and opened it up a whole new thing to me about him and about worship and so forth. And I hope you'll go on our church blog and, and tell us about it. A lot of people, I, don't get, I guess, are shy about that or something, but you feed the rest of us when you do that. And uh, so I hope that you'll participate in this. I have to confess to you that, uh, that coming up with sermons at Christmas time is, uh, for me as a, as a preacher, it's, it's kind of frustrating uh, to do that. Uh, and I'm, I mean, how much can you say and say it in a different way, you know, every Christmas? And this is, this is my 20th year of preaching Christmas sermons in this church. You know, I mean, how many times, and it's always got to be something different. That's just kind of the way I am, and I don't pull the old ones out and redo them. Just how many times can you do it? But even more frustrating, I think, is this to me as as a Christian and as a pastor and and, and as as a child of God. We have the greatest story ever told in the Christmas story. And for some of us, it can become so old and so routine that we can miss it. We can get so caught up in the stress and the rush of the past few weeks and this week that's to come. And, and like us, a lot of you have, you've got family coming in or you're going out to family and, and trying to get everything organized and everything done, find, find somebody to take care of the dog, you know, all the things that go with, with how that stuff goes, goes on, making travel plans, finishing our gift shopping and, and our projects that we're doing. We can get so caught up and so busy that we miss experiencing Christmas in the way that we live every single day. Uh, this last Sunday, before Christmas, as we're finishing whatever preparations we have, uh, we're going back today to that same passage where we were last week. So if you want to turn your Bible to Matthew 2, that's where, where we're going to be. I'm going to read in just a few moments. But instead of, of looking at Herod, we're going to be thinking about the, the wise men, about the magi. So in Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. You follow along with me. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is this newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star as it arose, and we've come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by the question, as was all of Jerusalem. He called a meeting of leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where did the prophets say the Messiah would be born, he asked them. In Bethlehem, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, O Bethlehem of Judah, you are not just a lowly village in Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And then Herod sent a private message to the wise men asking them to come see him. 
At this meeting, he learned the exact time when they first saw the star. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Liar, liar, pants on fire. After this, the Bible doesn't say that, by the way. I just added that. After this interview, the wise men went, to, went their way, and once again a star appeared to them, guiding them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. You ever been filled with joy? I'm not talking about filled with happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Joy is, lives within us all the time. They were filled with with joy, and then they entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were, and they fell down before him and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But when it was time to leave, they went home another way because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Who were these men? Who were the magi, the, the wise men? They were pagans meaning they did not worship the God of Israel. I would like to think, because just you want to think positive things about people, that when we get to heaven, they're going to be there. I would like to think that, but when they came to this place at this time in their lives, they were pagans, meaning they did not recognize the, the creator God that Israel worshiped that produced Jesus Christ who was Jesus Christ, they didn't recognize him as the one and only God Almighty. They were not, they were, they were, they were polytheists, meaning, meaning they had many gods and they're willing to accept the God of Israel as another one. They were not believers up to this point, but I ho I'm hoping that this experience was the turnabout for their lives. I'm hoping this was the, the new birth for these men as, as this happened. And I would like to, to think, God, will they be in heaven? I hope so. I hope so, because they had such a great part in this early life of Jesus Christ. They didn't worship God, although, like I said, they likely included him in their collection of gods. But as we know, God doesn't allow those who truly worship him to have any other gods in addition to him. So they weren't yet believers. However, they were seekers. They came seeking the newborn king of the Jews, they were seeking. Um, I have to chuckle at some in the Christian world who bristle at the notion of a church welcoming seekers. Well, guess what? You know, look at the person beside you. If you know that person's a believer, guess what? All of us at one time in our lives were seekers, weren't we? We were seekers until we what? Found him. And so we were all seekers. We were all seekers before we discovered life in Christ. They came seeking a king. Magi, their specialty was astronomy, the, the scientific study of the stars and the planets, but they also mixed that in with astrology, which is saying, you know, the stars tell us our future, the horoscopes, and, and, and you know, the stars can predict the future. And, you know, I want to just kind of say here, make this clear to us as Christians, you and I don't need to look to the stars. We don't need to look to the signs of the zodiac. We don't need to read our horoscope to find out our path or our future. In fact, the Bible warns us against seeking out fortune tellers and astrologers and horoscopes. The Bible says we need to look to one place, and that's to him, 
That's to God and trust in him. These men, these magi in their pagan religion, their confusion about God, they were scientists, they were, they were religious men, they were looking for the truth. They, they're pagans, they're not devoted to Almighty God, and as such, this new star, however, that appears in the sky, they recognize it must have some kind of significant meaning. They studied, they knew all the stars up there. I don't. But they did. And when then this new star appears, and they're saying, okay, what does this mean? And they start doing some research. They begin to go through all the holy scriptures and all the holy writings of all the different religions that they studied and they knew about. And, and Bible scholars theorize, doesn't tell us this here, but it makes sense that they likely had access to a copy of the Hebrew Old Testament, the scrolls, the Old Testament prophecy writings, and in it they found a reference to a star in the birth of a king. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, is one of those verses that they may have come upon and said, this tells us what the star is about. It was a prophecy. It said, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. And this was written back way back in hundreds of years before, thousands of years actually before. A star will rise from Jacob. Jacob is Israel. Jacob is the father of the people of God. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. Now, a scepter was a kind of a staff that a king held. It was a symbol of a king's authority, of his rule. And maybe they already knew of this prophecy. Maybe they had already read this and studied this before. And they have been looking over history, over hundreds of years, the class of of men known as Magi have been waiting for a star. And maybe they already knew about this. And maybe they already knew about other prophecies that were written by Daniel about the coming Messiah. You might ask, well, where did they get a copy of these Old Testament scrolls? Well, these guys had come from likely from from the region of Mesopotamia, from the east it said they came, Mesopotamia where Babylon is, where modern-day Iraq is. Perhaps they came from Persia and, and, and Iran and that whole area. They've come from way far away. And if you'll remember, you know your Bible history a little bit. You know that the nation of Judah was captive in Babylon for 490 years. And it's likely that when the temple was ransacked by King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king who came down and and ransacked the city of Jerusalem and took people back uh, to Babylon as slaves, among whom was Daniel. It's likely that they also removed copies of the Old Testament, the scrolls, and took with them and put in their libraries. And coming from the east, either Persia or Arabia or Mesopotamia, it's very possible Uh, that these men had access to copies of the Scripture. Babylon and all their cultures that lived in in that region of the world were famous for their magi, for their wise men. Remember, too, as I just mentioned, Daniel was appointed. Remember his life and his story. Daniel chapter 1, you know how the story goes with Daniel and the food and all that, and Daniel was able to be superior to everybody else, and the, the stories that followed that. Daniel was eventually appointed by pagan kings to be the chief over all of his who? Wise men. So Daniel was the the head of the magi, so to speak, during his lifetime. So they knew of Daniel. They knew of Israel. They knew of, of Yahweh. They knew of Jehovah. They knew of their God, and they knew their prophecies. So they had a connection with these scriptures, if not yet with the God of Israel. 
Magi were well-respected, and while they were not a kingly class, they were not three kings, all right, as the song says, messed up, okay? They weren't kings, they were wise men, but they were a noble class, they possessed great wealth and influence. They were, as we know from the book of Daniel, advisors to kings, and Herod recognized this. When he found out who they were and they were in town, he knew their history, he knew their reputation of this class of wise men, and, and it didn't bother him to say, hey, come here and help me out a little bit. What are you guys doing here? Who is it that you're seeking? Tell me again about that star and when did it appear? And he didn't have any problem asking them for, for, for their help again because remember we mentioned last week, Herod was an Arab and not a Jew. So he, was, he came from a, a pagan background himself. They traveled, these wise men, traveled a great distance, perhaps eight to 900 miles at a great expense to seek out this young, young king. It wasn't like they could jump in a car or get on a train or on an airplane. Eight to 900 miles across the Arabian desert uh, was a long and arduous, expensive trip. They had enough clout to arrange a meeting with Herod. They even had the courage to betray Herod. When he said, come back and tell me, they said, because they were warned in a dream not to, they didn't. So they were gutsy kind of guys. They got out of town. They didn't relay to Herod what they had found. And like we talked about Jesus doing last Sunday with the Herods that followed this king, Herod, his sons, as, as, uh, as, as they took over the rule, Jesus ignored them. So the Magi ignored Herod as well. They were very, very wise in that regard. And so the story is they, they left Jerusalem, went to Bethlehem, found the star, found where it was located, and uh, found Jesus and Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. And upon finding him, they worshiped him, bringing him gifts. These were not Dollar Tree things, okay? These were expensive gifts that they got him. There was no re-gifting here. All right, let's go. We're going to go find this king. What do we got in the closet that we do not, you know, you got any extra toasters, honey? Uh, we got, where's that blender you never have used? You know, there wasn't anything like that. They brought some expensive things to give to Jesus. They brought him gold. Gold was the gift that was typically designated for a king or for royalty. They brought him frankincense. Now, we're, not, we're familiar with gold. We know what gold is, but frankincense, that's not something. What is that? Frankincense, as in, in its name, it was burned as an incense uh, in the temple by the priests who served between God and the people as mediators. The priests were those go-between people in the Old Testament and the way the law was set up, and they would burn incense. And one of the incenses that they burned was frankincense. They brought him this incense. Myrrh. Myrrh was a, um, a, a lotion, it was a, an oil used as anointing oil for kings and for prophets, but it was also very aromatic. It was used very commonly in embalming uh, corpses from people when they died. That's how they would you know, embalm them with all these uh, high-powered uh, aromatic oils. So symbolically, gold and frankincense and myrrh, they have great symbolism in what they're doing here. These gifts spoke of who Christ is. They did not, I don't know, necessarily recognize everything about him, but they brought him these gifts. They brought him gold, signifying he was a king. They sought the king. They didn't know he was king of kings, I'm not sure, but they brought him gold. They brought him frankincense because he would be the only high priest, the Bible tells us, qualified to be our go-between between us and God. We need no other man. We need no other priest. We go straight to God through Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. And then they brought him myrrh. 
which spoke of his death, that he would die for our sins. So symbolically, they speak of him. Did they know all that? I'm not sure that they did. Not likely. And, and because they were not Jewish, they're pagans coming and seeking out the king of the Jews and, and worshiping him in this way. You have to wonder about these men. What was it about Christ that was of such great worth to them that they would go to this extreme to find him, to travel that great distance, to spend lots and lots of their own money and their own time, to present him with gifts of great value, to even risk their own lives by ignoring Herod and disobeying that king. What was it about Christ that made him worth all of that to these wise men? And I think that's a great question for you and me today. What is it about Christ? Christmas, Christmas has to be just more than just another story that we tell this time of year. We have lots of stories. I watched one last night on TV. Gail and I watched The Miracle of 34th Street. You know, the movie, the old movie about Kris Kringle. What a great story that is. I like that story. I don't like Frosty the Snowman, particularly, uh, or Rudolph. I'm kind of over that. Um, the Grinch is really not one I pay any attention to. I just, I just never could get into Dr. Seuss stuff, you know. And uh, so, I'm, but Scrooge, I love a Christmas Carol. I'll watch that as many times as I can during the Christmas season. I love that story. You know, Santa and Kris Kringle. We've got lots and lots of stories that go along with Christmas, don't we? But the story that we just read and the story in Luke 2, what we're celebrating this time of the year, it's got to be more than just another Christmas story. And yeah, there's, and there's the story of Jesus. To many, he's just become another story of the season, one in a list, and, and you know, let's be uh, you know honest about it. Not, not as fun as Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph. You know, just kind of not as much fun. But we're Christians. We're supposed to be different from people that don't know the true story. Perhaps we know the real meaning of Christmas. And the story of the Magi, although it happened some months, perhaps even more than a year after. Jesus' birth is tied to the story. And so we have to ask the question, how do you and I, who are Christians, these men were pagans, how do you and I, who are believers in Christ, if you are today, how do we see what the Magi saw in Jesus? How does that change our lives? Do I take Jesus for granted? Do we worship him like the Magi? Does it cost me anything to worship him at all? Is it do I go to any extremes? Is there any risk? I want you to look with me in your Bible at, at Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 5 and I'm going to go down through verse 11. This is one of the greatest passages outside of the Gospels. Philippians was one of the letters written to one of the first century churches. 
One of the greatest passages outside the Gospels that reveals to us just why Jesus is worthy of this kind of worship that we read about the Magi giving. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Who's he talking to? Talking to us. You need to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Okay, what was Jesus' attitude? Paul says, I'm going to tell you. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege, privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That was his attitude. Therefore, he said, because of that attitude, God elevated him, raised him up. He humbled himself, lowered himself down. God elevated him, raised him up to the highest place of highest honor, and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. The Magi have already done that. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Here's what Paul explains to us. What is it about Jesus Paul explains just what it took for Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to leave his throne as king of the universe and come to the earth. He tells us that Jesus was God before that happened. Jesus still is God. And as God, he says Jesus had everything he needed, he had everything he wanted except one thing. Do you know what that one thing God did not have that he wanted that he needed, that he was looking for, that he didn't have, that caused Jesus to come to earth. You know what that one thing was? A relationship with you and me. That was broken. That had been destroyed by our own sin. And God said, I want that restored. He created us for that kind of relationship. So he was willing, Jesus was, to give up that position in heaven to come to the earth and be born as a human. Not only did he become human like us, we know that he chose to be born into poverty. They went seeking him, the Magi went seeking him where? In the palace in Jerusalem, where else would you find a prince? But he wasn't there. He had been born, we don't know exactly where, but we know he was laid in a manger, which is a feeding trough for livestock. So probably not even born in a house but in a barn. He chose to be born into poverty and at a time when there were no modern conveniences like we had today. It had to have astounded these magi, these wise men, these wealthy men, accustomed to being in the palace and around kings, heads of state. It had to have just blown their minds when they discovered the king's not in the palace In Jerusalem, instead, they found him in a humble house being raised as the son of a carpenter. And when he grew into manhood, he chose to take on the position of a servant. He didn't have to do it that way. He chose to do it that way. And then when it was the right time, he continued with God's plan 
to provide us a way to be reconnected with God. And what that required was very simply this. He had to die his death as a criminal, as though he had committed many, many offenses, even though he committed none. He committed no crimes. He died as a criminal. The innocent was pronounced guilty of crimes that I have committed, that you have committed. Because of that resolve that he had, that he didn't turn away, that he didn't chicken out, that he didn't say, let's find another way, because of that resolve to settle our debts to God by dying and paying that ultimate sacrifice, now, Paul says, God has put him back. He's elevated him, put him back into the position of highest honor. He has now in the universe the name above all names, the name of Jesus. When you say that name, don't speak it lightly. When you sing that name, don't sing it nonchalantly. It is the name above all other names in the universe that God recognizes. He's been elevated to that position. And Paul goes on and says, and one day, one day yet that's yet to come still, the whole world, everyone, on the planet, those who have died, the whole world, the whole universe will bow before him and acknowledge who he is. And you think about that. You think about the people that will not acknowledge him today. One day they will. One day the whole world will proclaim him King of kings and Lord of lords. I love the words of that song that we sang this morning. I hope you pay attention. That song song just really grips my heart. When it says, how could heaven's heart not break on the day that you came? We'll talk about that more Friday night. How could heaven's heart not break? Jesus' birth in Bethlehem for his heavenly father, for God, had to be a bittersweet moment when you think about it because of what God was giving. I'm I'm giving my son, and I know the outcome. He's going to be crucified. I'm giving my son so that he might die a cruel death. What must God have thought about that? You might be here today. Maybe for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, maybe you've been, or maybe you've been attending church here for a long time, and maybe somehow in your life up to this point, you have missed this life-changing truth about Jesus. He wasn't born in Bethlehem and laid in a feeding trough with stars and angels and shepherds and later wise men showing up, worshiping him. That's not just a great story. That's not just a feel-good moment. That's not just so I've got something else to put underneath of my tree. He didn't grow up and teach and do kindnesses to strangers just to be an example. So many, oh, he was such a great example. Yes, he was the, the greatest, but it was more than that. It wasn't just an example to us about how we should treat our fellow man. And he's not just another option or one of many ways to have a relationship with God. You and I, we could never be good enough by ourselves. Couldn't do it. Be good enough to reconnect with God. It's it's not about how good I am, how I treat my fellow man. It's not so much about those things. It's not about being good and kind and, and merry. It's about coming to the realization that he didn't come to establish a new religion. He came to enable you and me to be right with God. 
That's what this was about. And maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe today is your day to step over that threshold and, and stop trying to meet God's approval by, by religion or by doing the best you can do. And, and, and today simply say, okay, God, I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to accept Jesus just as he said to accept me, by, accept him by, by faith and by believing that he did what God said he would do and he was who God said he was and he died on the cross for me and he rose from the dead for me to take care of it all. Maybe today's the day that you step across that threshold and believe in Jesus Christ. When you come to that moment in new life, and many of us in this room have come to that time in our lives, it's a moment Jesus called the new birth. That's when you finally get it. Then, then you can begin to understand why the wise men worshipped him like this. Why they went to these extremes to seek him to find him, to see him, to bow before him. These were powerful men. These were wealthy men. And if you can picture in your mind, these men with all their power, with all their fame, with all their nobility, with all their recognition in their home country, them coming to a a humble home and stooping to worship a toddler in a diaper in a poor village in a home that they probably would have never found and even never gone to in their own country. Here they are presenting him on their knees with these gifts. They didn't let their status get in their way of worship. For them, this was a humbling moment. For them, they recognized this. I believe at that moment in their lives, they were in the very presence of a king. And this king was so, for whatever reason, so special that the creator actually put a star up in the sky so we could find him and announced his coming to us. Do you wonder what they told their friends back home when they got back? You know, maybe the wise men that couldn't make the trip with them, maybe the king that knew they were gone, their neighbors, their friends. Hey, where'd you, where you guys been gone for months? Where have you been? We went seeking this king. There, we saw this star. Did you, yeah, we saw that we went seeking, following the star and, and seeking this king. And, 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 and he's born in, in Judea. And, and we found him. Did you find the king? Oh, yeah. Tell us about it. He was a toddler in a diaper in a town we never heard of. He was poor. Their home was just modest and humble, and there on a dirt floor in a little tiny home, we got on our knees and honored him with our gifts. Can you imagine their friends back home saying, what? But now, here we are, we have the advantage of being fast-forwarding 2,000 years, and we know so much more about Jesus than they knew. We knew how he grew up, and we know especially about his teachings and his miracles and the things that he did and the things that he said. We know about his death on the cross. We know about his resurrection. We know about the Holy Spirit who's come. We know so much more than they ever knew. They had none of that knowledge. So the question before us is this. This morning, I think it's, especially as Christians, question at Christmas time for me is this. Okay, so what am I giving up to worship him? Is it just become so easy for me in my culture, in my church, in my home, in my town? 
It's just become so easy for me to worship God whenever I feel like it, however I feel like it. You know, it doesn't cost me anything. If I want to give something, I can, but, you know, I don't have to do that. And so how do I approach this? What will I give up to worship him? And really the question is, why should we celebrate Christmas at all? And all the other stuff that goes along with the Christmas holidays, to me, just begins to pale and become so minute and so unimportant, so secondary. And many of us here, many of you here in this room this morning, especially in these last few weeks, instead of giving so much of things that don't last and, and, and going into debt with your credit cards at the stores, Many of you are, have, have changed that in your giving of your treasure, however large or small your treasure is. You're giving of that treasure to eternal things. And what must the world think of you? Like the wise men whose friends were back home. What must they think? You went into a little town, Bethlehem, never heard of Bethlehem. What do you mean in a little tiny home? Kings are born in palaces. You guys went all the way for that? What must the world think of you? You who really do believe in Jesus as your Savior, what must the world think of you when your faith is so strong and so real that you would die before you ever denounced him? You found what everyone else is seeking if you're a Christian. Everyone else in this world, whether they know it or not, is seeking something worth giving to and something worth dying for. That's what's in the heart of every man. Paul wrote that Jesus didn't pack his bags to come to earth. He didn't get all prepared. Say, okay, angels, help me out here. I'm going, I'm going to be gone for 33 years. I need to take a lot of my stuff. He didn't pack his bags to come to earth. Instead, you know what he did? He emptied his bags. Paul said, he gave up his divine privileges. He became poor. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich as the king of the universe in heaven, there with his father, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Not rich in this world's financial wealth that doesn't last. He's talking about eternal treasure. Not only did he become poor, but he also, Paul says, he became sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made the one who did not know sin. Jesus never committed a sin. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He gave up the adoration of the heavenly host. That means an army of angels in heaven in order to suffer the rejection of of the very men he came to save. He went from being infinite and limitless to being mortal and limited in his abilities. So knowing all that, how do you and I, Christian, how do we respond to Christ and to this story this Sunday before Christmas? If we respond religiously, we say something like this, okay, God, wow, you sure did a lot. And so because you did a lot, I'm going to do my part too, as if God's gift of his son wasn't enough. 
it was. That's what religion does. Let me add to what you've done, God. Thanks, God. That's a pretty cool story. And then we go off and we live however. We can respond with religion. We can can respond by paying attention. And we can allow the Jesus worshipped by the Magi to change us as I believe he must have changed them. Worship then begins to show up, not in religious rituals on special days like Sundays and Christmas and Easter and other things. You know, worship becomes part of my everyday life. Every day becomes an opportunity to worship God. These wise men had to have been dusty, you know, after traveling through the desert, riding on camels or donkeys or something. You know, they were covered with dust and dirt. Uh, You know, they didn't have Hampton Inns and that kind of thing, you know, to stop at every night and get cleaned up. They were dusty. Uh, They must have been sore. I mean, you and I know what it's like to travel 800 eight or 900 miles in an automobile. And when you get out, you got to get out every now and now and then just to stretch your legs. You know, you go, oh, you get out at the rest area, the restaurant or wherever, you know, it's, man, I am stiff. I'm sore. And you've been riding in this comfortable leather bucket seat with lumbar control and heat and everything else. They've been riding on the back of a beast. So we know they were dusty and they must have been sore and tired from such a long journey. I don't think we can put out the manger scene then, you know, after Christmas, you know, and then after Christmas we can't take that manger scene and put Jesus back in the, in the manger scene box and back into the attic and forget about him until next year. Not if we worship him as the Magi did. Not that Jesus is the little figure in your manger scene either. He's not. We have to act in response to who he is. Jesus didn't try to hold on to equality, his equality with God while man was on earth, although he was equal. He had to die like a mortal man. And that attitude in us means we can't hold on to the things that we think can make us great either. We have to be willing as they were to lay them down, as he was to lay them down and give them up. Do you think maybe on their, on their way home while riding on their camels or their donkeys, the wise men wondered? Do you think on the way home they're having conversation, you know? On the back of it, hey, you know, do, do you think maybe we spent too much? Maybe I should have spent some on myself, too. You know, after all, that's what Christmas is about. I doubt it. You know, more than likely, I think probably their conversation all the way back, those 800, 900 miles to their home, went more like this every time they talked about, it. I just, I can't get over it. I can't believe that we found him. I can't believe that God allowed us to get in on this. I think they were totally amazed. Well, guess what? 2,000 years later, here we are. Most of us in this room, I'm, I'm glad to announce to you, guess what? You found him. You know him. God has allowed you by his grace to get in on getting to know him and his son. And whatever you give to him this Christmas could never come close. And we know this. Could never come close to what he's given us. 
So this Christmas, worship and adore him and be amazed like they must have been that you've been invited to this celebration. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, there has to be some eternal significant impact from this story into our lives. This didn't happen just so we could read it, just so we could kind of go about it in some very nonchalant and shallow ways. This has to be a life-changing event if we allow it to be. And that's my, my prayer, my hope for me, for my family, for my friends, for the church of which I'm a part of, that this will be a life-changing event for you. That we'll never be the same because of what happened on that day. That we'll never be the same. That we will always be filled with wonder as were the Magi. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll teach us that. I pray that you'll move in our hearts. And may this Christmas, Lord, not for our sakes but for yours, be the greatest celebration we've ever had. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.